If you happen to be a sports fan, um, you would be aware of some improbable yet amazing stories that have taken place both in pro football and pro basketball. Uh, in this past football season in pro football, there was a football player by the name of Tim Tebow who captured headlines because he led his team, the Denver Broncos, to the AFC Championship game. And it's not just that he led them to the AFC, AFC Championship game, but he did it in spite of so many odds that were working against him. Many people told Tim Tebow that he just didn't have what it took to be a professional quarterback in the National Football League. They admitted, you would admit that Tebow was athletic. Uh, he certainly was an athletic player, but many were telling him, in spite of all that he had achieved in Florida, at the University of Florida, many people were telling him that he didn't have quite what it took to be successful as a quarterback in the National Football League. He did not have the, the typical release or throw as some of the quarterbacks had. He wasn't your prototypical quarterback. And so it was just amazing and a, a, a surprise that no one could imagine that Tim Tebow would lead his team to the AFC Championship game where they lost to the New England Patriots. We also see in professional basketball, just over these past couple of weeks, uh, a player by the name of Jeremy Lin, who plays for the New York Knicks, has turned the game upside down. One, because no one knew who Jeremy Lin was. He just, it's like he came out of nowhere. And even if you were a Knicks fan, you probably didn't know who Jeremy Lin was. And Jeremy had given, was given an opportunity to play or to come in and start for the New York Knicks to replace the injured Baron Davis. And in the nine games that he's been playing, the Knicks have gone eight and one. And during that time, Jeremy Lin has averaged about 24, 25 points per game and just shy of nine assists per game. And what is so amazing about that is that Jeremy Lin, again, no one knew who this player was. No one expected much from Jeremy Lin. In fact, he had been cut from two other teams before he even landed at the Knicks. And so it's a surprise that he has been as successful as he has been in these past couple of weeks. And we see both of these players have have experienced great success. Where it's going to lead, I don't know in their, in, their, in their further careers or their future going forward, but just in this time, they have turned the sports world upside down because they have done what seems to be the impossible. Tim Tebow, in fact, that he did so well and was, was, became so known that people started to do what they call Tebowing. And T-Bone was basically them imitating or kind of mocking, however you want to say it, them uh, imitating him when he prays. Because Tim Tebow is a devout Christian. Not a Christian who just says, thank God for where I'm at and that's it. Tim Tebow lets it known that his faith is in Jesus Christ. And he didn't start when he was in professional football. He did that when he was at the University of Florida. Missionary work, I mean, everyone knows that Tim Tebow's heart is sold out for Christ. And Jeremy Lin has received some attention as well. They've called, you see phrases, Lin sanity, Lin believable, and all of these things. And, and we see that Jeremy Lin also is very vocal about his faith in Jesus Christ. He is a Christian as well. And so it's amazing when we see these two athletes who have started to glorify God when God has given them the platform to do it. And so while God has given them the platform, they have used that platform in their careers and in their jobs to glorify God. Jeremy Lin has even said, or quoted as saying, I'm thinking about how I can trust God more, how I can surrender more, how I can bring him more glory. I want to be able to sit back when I'm done with my career 
and say that I gave everything I could and that I did it for God's glory. And so we see that both Tim Tebow and Jeremy Lin, they get it. They understand that however famous they get and however many accolades they get, that their primary purpose in their jobs, in what they do, is to bring glory to God. And the same is to be said about us. We work, and our work, God uses us, and is to use us in our jobs to bring glory to him. Just as Jeremy Lin and Tim Tebow did. Now, we may not be as fortunate to be able to play professional sports, but we are called all the same to glorify God in whatever we do. Whether you, are a, uh, whether you play sports or whether you are a waitress at a restaurant, we are all called for a greater purpose in getting up each and every morning and going to work besides getting a paycheck. In fact, that's what Jeremy Lin and Tim Tebow could have did. They could have just got a paycheck and just continue to uh, bring in lots of money. But they've taken some, some heat for praising God and for glorifying God. And likewise, we as Christians are to glorify God on the job and in our workplace. There's no doubt that we are called um, to provide for our families. That's why we work in order to earn money and to make a living and to support our families and to send our kids to colleges that are just way too expensive. So we do these things. We go to work each and every day so that we can support our families. But that's not the only reason God has placed us in the positions that we are. God desires that we also see work as a mission field. Work is a mission field. No other place and at no other time do we spend more time around unbelievers than in the workplace. And we develop relationships, long relationships with these individuals that we work with more than just about anybody else. And so we should see it as a mission field. It's a mission field because we're called to carry out the mission of serving others and loving others as Christ has loved us. And no other place do we get the, the, a better opportunity to do that than in the workplace. So we see this opportunity here for us to fulfill our calling and our vocation, which is to meet the needs of, God, of others and to do it in such a way that it pleases God. The question is, do you see your vocation or your job as God using you to supply the needs of others? Or do you just see it as just a, a routine thing, type of thing that you have to do? Or do you see it as God working through you to meet the needs of others? Do you, just as the doctor is God's instrument, is, is, is an instrument in God's hands to heal, the, heal sick people, God works through each and every one of us to carry out a mission and a purpose in our workplace, and we should do it in a way that glorifies him. Martin Luther is said, uh, as mentioning, God himself milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. And so he says that God himself is the one milking that cow through the vocation of the milkmaid, the person who milks those cows. And likewise, we all have been placed in certain positions in our own our jobs, and it can, it can be, it can be a, a, a troubling sometimes. It can be a burden. But God is saying you have, we have to look at it in a different light. The providence of God enables all of this to happen. He enables those to be healed. He, he enables uh, the electric company to, to, to make sure that we have electricity and, and air conditioning and heat in our homes through the vocation of people. And it's only by his grace that all this happens. Only by his grace. And so God positions us. He positions his people in positions to share the love of Christ and do it in a way that glorifies him. And so we have to look at our positions, our vocations, and ask ourselves, do we see it as God using us to meet the needs of others? Gene Edward Veith has said that the whole purpose of every vocation is to love your neighbor as yourself. These neighbors constitute relationships that we are in right now, and our vocation is for God to serve them through us. 
And what a great place to really learn to love others because in the workplace, it's a challenge at times. You're tested at times. But that is another process in sanctifying God's people and helping us to learn how to love people in spite of how they may be treating us. And so for that reason, I want to talk to you this morning about how we glorify God in the workplace. How do we glorify God in the workplace? This is a continuation and a conclusion of the, uh, the It's Not About Me series that we have been doing. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at uh, It's Not About Me, It's About God Being Glorified in the Workplace. And for those who may be retired or those who don't have a job yet, for, for example, our students who may be in school and their job is just to go to school, I pray that you also will keep your hearts open to the message because we can take some of the things that God has for us this morning and it's not just limited to us in the workplace, but it's it's applicable to every facet of our life. And so I pray that you will uh, just be open to to God's message this morning and and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you will join me by standing and We're going to start at verse 22. Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 22. Word of the Lord reads, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Thank you. You may be seated. We have this passage here, and this passage and these instructions that Paul is giving to slaves here, and it's, this passage is among an area where Paul is also giving instructions to other family members, the family unit, in how they are to glorify God in their respective roles. So we see that in the passage, Paul is talking about how children are to glorify God, how wives are to glorify God in their roles, and how husbands are to glorify God in their roles. And then Paul goes on and he speaks about how slaves are to glorify God in their, in their particular roles as well. And that begs the question, why did Paul put slaves in the same area in which he focused on family members? Because at that time, slaves were considered to be a part of the family unit. They were very close within the family, and, and many times the slaves taught the, the, the children of their masters. And so Paul is taking this opportunity to not leave them out, but he says, also, I want you to know how you are to live as Christian slaves in your particular roles. And the thing is, when I saw this, it helps to reinforce and remind me and remind us that the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is no respecter of persons, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whatever class or whatever your status is, the gospel is meant for everybody. In fact, Paul said that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So regardless of who you are and where you come from, the gospel is for everybody. And so Paul recognizes this and Paul uses this and says that I'm going to also instruct the slaves as well who are equal in God's eyes. I'm going to instruct them as well as how they are to respond in their particular work because they were the main workforce in Rome. The Romans actually saw quite often that working or perceived that working was kind of a a, a, a thing that was beneath them. Just the, the, the smallest of things, the Romans really didn't see work as something to be admired for. 
And so you have many of these slaves. They say it's estimated that about a third of the Roman population were slaves, which is believed to have been about 60 million people or so, 60 million people, slaves. And so uh, what, a, what, a, what a, uh, a, a mission field Paul has before him. And because of that, the gospel actually has gone out, and some of these slaves actually have given their life to Jesus Christ and need to know, okay, how do I respond now that I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so Paul wants to make sure that they understand this, just as he did Onesimus, who was the slave of Philemon, Philemon, who Paul wrote the epistle to. And so we actually see Paul giving these instructions to the slaves, and after preaching the gospel and, and letting them know that once they're saved, he wants them to understand how they are to glorify God in their, in their workplace. And so we will take this example and apply what Paul has told them to help us to see how we are likewise to glorify God in the workplace as well, in our particular roles. Surely if he gave these instructions to those who were slaves who really at that time, slaves could earn money, but at the same time, we know it wasn't quite the labor force and the, and the labor laws that we have, of course, now. So if God is expecting this of slaves, how much more is he expecting of us who have everything before us? Amen? And so we see uh, this particular passage where Paul starts out and he's giving these instructions to slaves. And how, how much would that have really probably encouraged the slaves to know when they seen Paul? give them instructions as well, and to speak to them and not just to leave them out, but to include them into his letter, his epistle, and say, this is what is expected of you as well. And so when we look at this, this passage, one thing that really stands out, there's an overarching theme that stands out to me, and it's one of discipline. Discipline is not a word that you'll see in the passage, but that's the overarching theme through, this, through everything. And we see this particular theme even when Paul's talking to the children, when he's talking to the husbands, the wives, and now the slaves. He's, it's one of discipline. And one thing that we see is that God expects for his children, for those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, to be disciplined workers, to be disciplined in the workplace. That's what God kind of expects of his people, and not just in the workplace, but even outside of the workplace. What's another phrase that we can think of when we think about discipline, it's self-control, being able to exercise some restraint when people are getting on your nerves, being able to restrain yourself. And so we see Paul helping them to see how they are to be disciplined. Now the key thing is here though, is that he focuses on self-control but at the same time, we see self-control as being a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.23 talks about self-control being a fruit of the Spirit. And so God is telling us that we have the power because of the Holy Spirit God has given us to exercise that self-control. And so when we look and we look in the workplace and we see, okay, there are some unbelievers who seem to be disciplined as well. How much more should God's people be self-controlled and be able to exercise restraint in the workplace because we have the Holy Spirit in us being able to help us, enable us to exercise self-control. So us being able to be disciplined, whether it be in the workplace or whether it be in school or wherever it is, it is only because God has been gracious enough to, to, to fill us with his Holy Spirit that we may be able to exercise the self-control that God has given us. And so we see discipline being the theme here. When we think of slaves, we typically think of someone who is powerless and someone who doesn't have control of themselves. But Paul is saying, if you are a slave of Christ, you have power to exercise discipline. And regardless of what kind of takes place, you can control kind of what happens and control your response to certain situations. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but he said of power, of love, and self-discipline. And so we see the Holy Spirit being instrumental, key, in us being able to exercise discipline and to do what God is calling us to do in the workplace and even outside of the workplace. 
We glorify God when we use the power he has given us to exercise this discipline and to exercise self-control. So this is a primary way in which we glorify God in the workplace. When we exercise restraint, when we exercise self-control, when we are at work on time, like we're supposed to be, amen? When we do the things that we're called to do, those are the things that bring glory to God. We don't always have to be speaking of the name of Jesus Christ in order to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We can do that just by our actions. See, the Tim Tebow and Jeremy Lin, they weren't on the court always talking about Jesus Christ, but it was their actions and their character that made a difference. You can see there was something different about these players than it was about the other players that they were playing with. If you just heard them talking, you would say there's something different about this person. One, they're humble. They, they give out credit to their teammates. And when they lose, the first thing Jeremy Lin says, hey, if you want to give me accolades for the victories that we just had when we lost this one game, I deserve that too. And so we see that God is requiring his children to be disciplined. All of us have seen that child in the store that has no discipline and that will just drive you crazy. Drive you crazy. Why? Because there's no discipline. There's no discipline. You tell them to go, they stop. You tell them to stop, they go. Can't be trusted to be left alone. Undisciplined, loose as a cannon. And you know, the amazing thing is when you see a child like that, typically, for me, you don't look at the child because they are just coming up under the training of a parent. And so my attention is on the parent and saying, why aren't you disciplining your kid? And the same is for us. If you are in the workplace, we are in the workplace and people know that we're Christian. We carry our Bibles around. We talk about how we went to church on Sunday. But yet if we're raising some stuff in church or in workplace, they're going to look and say, okay, well, what kind of God are you serving? I'm more disciplined than this person is. I work harder than this person does. But yet they claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we see that God has given us this discipline in the workplace so that we may be able to exercise some restraint and exercise some control. And I pray that that what is said about an undisciplined child can't be said about God's children. In fact, there's just some, there's some, we talk about children, there's some undisciplined adults. And so we, we see that God is calling us to exercise this discipline because it's a reflection of him. We see when he led the Israelites and the Israelites were acting kind of crazy, they were, they were idolizing things, they were doing things that were against the will of God, and God was telling them that they're profaning my name because they were associated with him. He had led them a long way. And the same is for us when we're in the workplace. If we carry around the banner of Christ and are undisciplined in what we do, we do more damage to the kingdom of God than an unbeliever. It's the simple fact. If we carry around the banner of Jesus Christ, but yet we can't exercise self-control or restraint in what we say and in what we do, then we do more damage or more harm to the kingdom of God than a person who doesn't believe in God. But we are not alone in this because God has given us the Holy Spirit to be able to do this, to be able to act or to do as God has called us to do and to act in a way that glorifies him in the workplace. Glorifying the Lord in the workplace, it starts and it ends with discipline. And so that's something that we have to, to keep in mind. As we look further into the passage, one of the things that we see, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we're able to do something that, that is extremely important to God, because we have the power of God, because we have the Holy Spirit, we're able to do something that is very, very important to God. It's a four-letter word. Obey. Obey. Look in verse 22. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Obey. Obedience is very important to God. It's so important, Christ Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So important. And when we look at this, this verse makes it clear that God desires that we be obedient 
in the workplace, that we be able to follow instructions. That word obedient is, is, is an image of someone who's ready. They're listening. They're ready. They're ready for their instructions to be able to do what they're called to do. And so we see this being the case in which God is asking us to do. Some might say, well, obeying the Lord and obeying my superiors, that's a little different story. That's a different story. I'll obey God. But obeying somebody else who's telling me what to do, and if they don't tell me to do it in the right tone, I no, no. But Paul doesn't draw the line there. Look in Ephesians chapter 6, a parallel passage that is very similar to Colossians. Um, Paul is also telling the slaves there in Ephesus the same thing that he told those in Coloss. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, And we'll look at what he says about being obedient. Ephesians 6, 5, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Did you see that? Just as you would obey Christ. So Paul is laying it out and saying, look, just as you would obey Christ, you are to obey those whom he has put you in subordination to in the workplace. Now, that does not mean that we lift up other people to a position that is only fitting for Jesus Christ himself, but we are to express, by the work that we do, we are to express our commitment to Christ in what we do. And so as we obey others, we're expressing our commitment to Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul is laying out before us here and saying that your obedience to others or following instructions or doing as you're told is a reflection and an indication of your commitment to Jesus Christ as well. The one illustration that when we're looking at is I saw a movie not too long ago called The Gray. And it's a movie about uh, basically it's got a bunch of wolves in it. And they do have some scenes in, in this movie where there are actually uh, real wolves. And the one thing that you look at in this movie and in other movies where there are wild animals, the one thing that you notice is that it seems like the actors have control over the animals. But if you're actually on set, you know that there's a trainer also there. And if that trainer wasn't there, those animals wouldn't be acting the way that they do. And so the trainer is on the set. He's not in the scene, but he's on the set. And so it's because of the trainer being on the set that the animals act the way that they do. And so while we are in the workplace as well, Jesus Christ may not be in our scene, but he is on the set. And so we act the way that we act. We obey the way that we do, not because of necessarily the people whom he has put us in, under control of, but we act the way that we do because we know Christ Jesus is on the set. And so when we look at that, we have to say that I, I obey, I'm on time, I do what I do because I know that Jesus Christ is my trainer. He's the one who's training me. God is my trainer. And I'm obeying you because my trainer told me to obey you. And if I don't obey you, then I'm disobeying my trainer. You got to connect the two. And so we see this, this, this illustration here in and so we respond in the workplace, and, and, and how we respond is simply an indication of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our trainer. And when we see this Jesus Christ being our trainer, Jesus Christ is looking to transform his people. He's working on transforming us, and it's not just in the workplace, but he's transforming his people that we may be different. He transforms us into better husbands. He transforms us into better wives, into better students, into better children. Everything that we do and everything that we are, as we give our life to Jesus Christ, he should be transforming us to be better at what we do than what we were before. If you were a good mechanic before you gave your life to Christ, you should be an even better mechanic after you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Not because you know more, but because you know Christ. 
And so this is what God does to those who give their life to him. And so the question I ask for you, are you a better worker than if Christ was not in your life? Are you better at what you do? Are you more disciplined? Are you more faithful in your workplace than if Christ was not in your life? Or if you say it's, it's, it's really indifferent, I'll, I'd be pretty much the same. And I don't think that's possible. If Christ is truly working on your heart, there should be something a little bit, there should be something different about you in the workplace than if, you, if Christ was not in your life. Because Christ transforms us. As a, as a husband, I should be a better husband as now that I'm in Christ than if I was not in Christ. I should be a better, uh, there, should, there should be some mothers here who should be better mothers now that they are in Christ than if they were not in Christ. Because Christ is sanctifying us. He's, he's sanctifying us for, for reasons other than us just being faithful and giving our tithes on Sunday morning. He's sanctifying us more than just being a regular church attender. He's sanctifying us more than us just joining a church ministry. He's sanctifying us and transforming us to look more and more like Christ that we may impact and influence everybody else who's around us. And because we know Christ, we are able to, to, to humbly submit and to serve those whom God has placed us in subordination to. It's a different mindset, I think, as we approach the workplace. But it's one that's essential. I know that it's difficult. It, it's difficult uh, sometimes when you're in the workplace. It's a challenge. I, I know this. But, be, be, but the thing is, when we, when we have the mentality mentality that it's not about me or it's not about us, that it's about the glory of God, we can approach it a little bit differently. But if we go into the workplace and we think that it's just about me, it's about me advancing, it's about me getting ahead, it's about me being fairly treated, then we're going to fall short of glorifying God. And so we see this theme about it's not about me, it's for the sake of the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 through 16, Peter says, he says, submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to govern those who do wrong and to, and to punish those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. That's what Peter said. He said, first of all, he said, submit yourselves. And he didn't say just submit yourselves to every authority but submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. So what I do is for the Lord's sake. I'm not going to respond back to you, although you responded back to me in a, in a really ugly way. I'm not going to respond back for the Lord's sake. I'm going to extend grace to you for the Lord's sake. And then he goes on, he says, why we should do this? For it is commendable, for, for uh, it is God's will that you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Silence the ignorant talk of men saying that God's people are undisciplined. To silence the ignorant talk that God does not exist. To silence the ignorant talk that God's people have no power. To silence the ignorant talk about God's people and God's kingdom. We are to silence that ignorant talk. And he puts us in positions to do this. God's, God is not glorified when his children are rebel against established authority. We are to rebel against sin and sinful ways, but we are to also come up under authority. Matthew Henry said, we are really doing our duty to God when we are faithful in our duty to men. And that's, that's truly the case. How we respond to those God has placed around us says a great deal about our relationship to God. You don't have to know that that person comes to church every day or anything like that. You can just look at how an individual responds to those whom God has placed around them to kind of know what kind of relationship that person has with the Lord. That's a good indicator. And so it reveals if we're living for God's glory or if we're living for our own glory. And so we see Paul, again, just highlighting this fact of obedience, to obey, and to, to just to follow instructions, just to, to basically to do as we're told. And whether we're in the workplace or not, we all following someone's 
orders or instructions or we are called to humbly submit and surrender ourselves to someone. Whether it be students who are in school and your teachers are asking you to do something, to finish your lessons, to sit down, to be quiet or whatever it is, we are called to obey those whom God has put in those positions because it's an indication, it's a reflection of our obedience and our faithfulness to God as well. As we look at this also further, Paul goes on in in verse 22, he says, slaves obey your masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you. So it is evident that God is calling his people to a, again, a more perfect way of obedience, an obedience that is superior to that which the world demonstrates. And what do I mean by this? It's an obedience that is not motivated by money. It's an obedience that's not motivated by promotion or accolades, but instead it's an obedience that's motivated for God's glory and God's glory alone. Sola de gloria. It's an obedience that's motivated for his glory. Paul first tells us that the obedience motivated for God's glory in the workplace is such that we will obey at all times, even when we're not being watched. And I think we can kind of relate to this. Sometimes when we're a supervisor, somebody's not watching us, we may have a tendency to kind of slide down a little bit, you know, chill out, he's gone. Now he, you know, I can just kind of rest a little bit, walk to the next station a little slower. Let me see what's on Facebook, on my smartphone. Take a picture at me at work. Send it to my friends. I'm driving. I know they give them, they're trusting me with the truck. I'm going to take the long way. You know, things of that nature. And, and, and God is saying that we obey even when eyes are not on us. Even when we're not being watched. Because we know that if it doesn't matter if somebody else is watching us. We know that God is always watching us. We know that he is always watching us. I read an article that said that the average American worker wastes over two hours each day. Now, most of us only work like eight hours, some of us. So if we waste two hours, it's like, hey, who's getting the better end of the stick here? And so God is saying we are to be faithful and to do it at all times. Do you cut corners or take shortcuts when not being watched? Do you give less effort than when management or supervision is is watching? As people of God, it shouldn't matter to us whether someone is watching us or whether they're not watching us, because they're going to get the same quality of work as if they were watching us. And I ain't talking about some people like, hey, I don't care if my supervisor's here or not. I'm going to do my thing regardless. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about high quality of work. Whether you're here or not, I'm going to give you the same quality of work. I'm going to serve the same whether you're here or not because I know Christ is here. I know he's on the set. Proverbs 15, verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. So we know that God is watching. God is watching. So my motivation is not just because I'm going to get paid or looking for a promotion or I don't want to lose my job or whatever it is. It's because I'm coming to glorify the Lord and because he's watching. The one thing that Paul lays out here, and some of your translations may actually pick up on this, is where he talks about not only when their eye is on you, he's also setting the stage for us to know that that God's people are are not people pleasers. Now, there's a difference now. He, he's saying that it's okay to please, please man and, and to, to please who we work for, but he's saying we're not necessarily people pleasers, which, which is a difference what he's talking about. We don't do what we do when they're wa- just when they're watching us because that indicates that we're just looking to please man and there's no reverence for God. When we work as people pleasers, we work out of what people owe us. But when we work as people to please God, we work out of what all that we owe God. And at the end of the day, man owes us a check, but we owe God our, our lives. We owe God everything. And so that is our prime motivation. Why do you work the way that you do? Why are you always here on time? Because I serve a Lord who's good. Because you don't know what he done, done in my life. 
So, you know, I've got to, I've got to be faithful on the job because he was faithful to save my life. And so he calls me to be obedient. So, and so when they see us and when they see you, they know that being a Christian isn't, isn't just about going to church on Sunday. It's like, okay, God affects everything in my life. He done turned my whole life upside down. And so that's what God is trying to do here. And we also see in that same verse, in verse 22, he says, Obey not only when their eyes are on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You know, the one thing that, that Paul highlights is that we are to also just to follow instructions and to do as we're told, also in all conditions. It's to say that God gives us the power and the ability to obey at all times, that his power is not conditional. And what do I mean by that? It's not such that we are okay as long as somebody doesn't rub me the wrong way. If they tell me again to, to do this, they ain't my supervisor. So they better, they better step off. They better back up. If they don't ask me respectfully one more time, right? Saying that our obedience is not to be dependent on how well we are treated or how others are treating us. Our faithfulness and our, 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 us being dependent is, is not based upon how others treat us. It, it's based upon how we want to be a, a good reflection on God. Peter said, do not, repay, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. And also we see that Peter saying in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 19, he says, submit your slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And then he goes on, he says, because it is commendable if a man bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. And so what he's telling us there is that because you have a knowledge of who God is and that God is sovereign and that he controls all, you also can bear up under the pain of unjust suffering. So when someone treats you in a way that is not necessarily a way that you should be, be treated, we still are able to bear up under the pain of unjust suffering. Now, that doesn't mean that we allow things in the workplace to be unjust, that we just, you know, turn a, a blank eye. But I think the overarching thing that, that Paul is trying to help us to see is that when you're trying to make a, a wrong or right, still be faithful and do what you're supposed to be doing and, and do it uh, with the utmost quality. And so we see this being the theme here. And so we, we look at this and we, we, we have to make sure that we do this in the power that God gives us. Because if we don't do it from the power of the Holy Spirit and we trust in our own power, then we're going to fall short of glorifying God. And I admit, it, it's tough. It's really tough to follow directions when someone doesn't respect you or you know you're, you're underappreciated or you feel that you're not paid like you should be getting paid. It's a struggle doing something when someone doesn't talk or ask for things in a respectful way. M many of you who have worked in, the, in, in, in serving customers in some kind of way, in a restaurant or wherever it may be, you know there are some customers that can just probably get on your last nerves. But Christ says that we are to serve them, to serve them, learning how to love in spite of the way that we're treated. Because... Peter tells us again in 1 Peter 2, 2.21. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So Jesus Christ entrusted himself to, Jesus Christ, to, to God himself, God the Father. And he said, to this you were called as well. Because Christ gave you an example that we should follow in his steps. Are we not willing to suffer for Christ who gave his life for us? Are we not 
willing to endure some ridicule for his glory, for his name? As we look on into this passage further, Paul takes us to verse 23 and he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. This, I think, is really the anchor of this passage here. This anchors everything. This is an anchor for the soul right here. Because Paul's saying, whatever you do, whatever your job is, I don't care what you do. I don't care how lowly some may look at it. Whatever you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord and not for men. Now, if we have that type of mentality when we go to the workplace, how much better could we work and how much faithful could we be at our, at our jobs if we approached it from the standpoint, I'm not working for men, I'm working for the Lord. Again, our motivation is to do as one working for Christ because ultimately we are serving Christ. You are serving Christ in your positions. You're doing what Christ has called you to do in your position, given that it's a legit job, doing what you are called to do in your positions and serving others, being an instrument of God. So if you're a waitress, you serve with the mentality or you serve with a heart that you're serving Christ or you're serving for the glory of Christ. If you are a school teacher, teach those kids with the mindset that you're teaching them for the glory of God. Doing it for the glory of God. I had, I remember, it's probably been about six or seven years ago, I had a really difficult time, or I was having a really challenging time on the job. I mean, I had been um, working at, at, at the place where I am now for, for quite some time, had invested a lot of time, and was doing what I really kind of liked to do. It was something that I really enjoyed, something that I had become, uh, I think, pretty good at because of experience and just time. And so I was, I was comfortable with it. And then I go into work one day about six or seven years ago, and superiors, managers called me in and talked to me and said, you know, we got a new opportunity for you. We're starting up something different, and we want you to basically to, to, to lead this, this effort up. And for me, that was like, quite honestly, it was a punch in the stomach because I was kind of like, oh, first of all, I, I'm, I, I'm not really equipped to do what, I didn't feel like I was equipped to do what they called me to do. But at the same time, I, had, I, was, I was comfortable where I was at. And I, I felt, felt like I was doing a, a good job at where I was at. And so when I was called to do something different, it, it caused some discouragement. It was discouraging at times. It was, it was tough finding encouragement to go into work. Because I was like, man, this is really not what I want to be doing. This is not really what I want to be doing. And although I continued to work and do it uh, as well as I could, I don't think I did it as, as, as best as I probably could because I had maybe the wrong mindset going into it. And so this particular verse, that 23, 23rd verse, really helped me out a great deal. And so whenever I was struggling into going into work or doing a job or whatever it may be, I'll remember that 23rd verse. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you're working toward the Lord and not for men. That, that helped me. Because it helped to refocus my attention that I was doing it, not for man, I was doing it for the Lord. And I didn't even, I wasn't even on top of that paying attention to the sovereignty of God. And of course, I'm looking at, okay, God is the one who placed you in this position, so God knows what he's doing. And so the management and the supervisors who are over you, they're just instruments in his hands. They're just carrying out the purpose of which he has called to happen anyway. And when I look back, and I look back all that I was going through also in personal, my personal life at that time, it was actually what was best for me. I didn't want it. If I had asked to, been, if I had asked, been asked to, to pick it, I wouldn't have done it. But God knows what's best for us. And so I had to trust in the Lord and know that he knows what's best. And so when I was not wise enough to think that, okay, this is, you know, I can see God moving and shuffling some things around, before I even knew what was going on, God, it was years later before I figured it out, and God was like, huh, you know, told you. I got this. 
Let me work it out. And so now we see that, again, this particular passage or verse, Paul is telling us to work with our hearts. Not just work hard, but, but have, work, work with all your heart. That's what he's telling us to do. So what is the end goal? What is the end goal besides us keeping our jobs? <laughs> Some people say, oh, it's to keep my job. I'm trying to change our mentality here. Right? What is the end goal besides keeping our jobs? Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, starting at verse 9. It says, in verse 9, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted and get this, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So the end goal is to make Jesus Christ and his teachings attractive to those who don't know him. And so that's what he's saying. He says to, to do all these things. I mean, things that, you know, most employers would, would tell you to, to do it anyway as well, you know, to, to not steal and to, to please those whom they work for, not to talk back, to do these things. And he says to do this to make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So Christ desires that we do all that we do for his glory so that we may make him attractive, that we may smell like the aroma of Christ in the workplace. And even when we smell like the aroma of Christ in the workplace, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be receptive to us because Paul said that the aroma of Christ is like death to those who are perishing. But he says it's like life to those who have given their life to Christ. And so, but he's calling us to be be the aroma of Christ. Be the aroma of Christ in the workplace. To make Christ attractive. Are we making Christ attractive in our workplaces? Or do people look at us and be like, I don't know if I want any part of that Christ. They're not making Christ attractive to me. If what we do in the workplace is only about me, myself, and I, Christ will not be attractive to those we work with and God will not be glorified. Glorifying glorifying God in the workplace, again, it's not easy. Few places will test your faith like in the workplace. Few places will test your faith. You're often faced with inequality, fairness issues, issues of disrespect, or just, again, being put on different jobs that you're maybe not comfortable with or that you're not happy with or whatever it may be. But, and if we're not careful, these things will cause us to become bitter. But it's important for us to, to take into consideration a couple of things if we want to overcome those issues in the workplace and not to become bitter, there's a couple things that we, want, we need to do, and one of them is to have a focus like Jesus Christ. We need to stop, first of all, looking at everyone else and what they're doing in the workplace and what they're doing in their, in their lane. Christ is saying, stay in your own lane. Run your own race. Stop looking at what everybody else is doing. Okay, you did this for them. Why aren't you doing it for me? You treated them this way. Why aren't you treating me this way? Christ is saying, run your own race. Stay in your own lane. Do what God has called you to do. And too often this invades the, ad- the attitude in church as well. It attitude- y'all treated them this way. Why aren't y'all treat me this way? Y'all doing this this way. Why don't y'all do this that way? Christ is saying, run your own race. Worry about your own self. And if we, work at work, if, we, if we stay focused like Christ was focused and not worry so much about what is going on with everybody else, we'll be a whole lot better off. Worry about what God is doing in your life, not what he's doing in everybody else's life. Turn with me real quickly to John ch- chapter 21. We see this point loud and clear when Jesus Christ is with Peter and John. In chapter, John chapter 21, 
situation here where Jesus Christ is, is before Peter and he's saying, he's asking Peter to feed my sheep, right? If you love me, he's asking Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you, Lord. And he's saying, feed my sheep. And so for the sake of time, we'll pick up at that 17th verse. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you're younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. If you move down to verse 20, well, actually stay in verse 19. It says, Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And what does Jesus say? Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, you follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Move down to verse 21. He says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about John? And how did, how did Jesus Christ respond? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus Christ said, stop worrying about John. I got John. You worry about yourself. You got enough on your plate, Peter. You worry about yourself. And that's what Christ is telling us as well. Worry about your own self. I'm giving you enough, your own self. So stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and what is going on in our life. Worry about your own self. Carry your own cross. Bear your own cross. And stop worrying about everybody else's cross. So that's what he had to tell Peter. Peter, stop worrying about John. I got John. I got something else for John. So we need to focus on our own self. Secondly, we need to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. We need to imitate the attitude of Jesus Christ. If there is a worker that we need to imitate, it is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the ultimate worker. Jesus Christ had the job that no one wanted and that no one could quite frankly do. And that is to, to gain salvation, to, to pay for salvation, to to, to, to take upon the sins of, of the world. He had this job, and he had to do it faithfully. He had to do it perfectly without error. And so if there's anyone we should imitate, it is Jesus Christ. No one can say Jesus Christ didn't have a job. Jesus Christ had a job. He's just the only one who could do it. But he had a job. And if we look here, lastly, in Philippians chapter 2, The scripture verse that we read this morning, <laughs> we'll see the job Christ did. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." So if we have that same attitude, Paul is telling, telling those Christians in Philippi, he's saying, get the same attitude as Christ Jesus. First of all, Christ Jesus looked out for the interest of other people. And so when we are in the workplace, God is calling us also to look around and see those who may be hurting and see how we can maybe minister to them in some kind of way. And I'm not saying you always have to mention the name of Christ, but you certainly can, if you have that opportunity to do that, but always just to try to minister to somebody. If you see somebody, a janitor or somebody like that, who's, who's working hard, they do clean up well, get them a card, a thank you card or something, say thank you for the work you do. Just want to thank you for what you do. I want to thank you for cleaning up our area right here. How much more of a difference do you think that will make in that person? Recognizing other people. Jesus Christ said, look, in, look out for the interests of others. But also we see Christ took the very nature of a servant. Jesus Christ, God himself, came to serve and not to be served. And so we have to have that same mentality as Christ Jesus that I am a servant for Christ. I came to serve. 
And so whatever you call me to do, I'm here to serve you. And Christ was able to do that because he humbled himself. He was humble. And so it requires us to be humble in the workplace. Just as Christ was humbled, it says that he made himself nothing, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. So we see those three things are very important for us. If we want to, 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 to glorify God in the workplace, we have to imitate Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, there was no one who was a better worker than Christ Jesus himself. No one was more faithful at doing what they were called to do than Jesus Christ himself. No one was more determined to glorify God on what, in what he was called to do than Jesus Christ. And no one did it more perfectly than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made himself nothing because he trusted in God himself to do something when he got finished and when he was obedient, which was to be glorified in heaven. And this should help us understand what is also in store for us. If Jesus Christ himself came down off his stone from heaven and was going, was going to go back and to become a... Well, first of all, if he came down from heaven to become a man, to take on flesh, that should tell us something about the reward God has for those who remain faithful to him. If Jesus Christ trusted in God the Father that much where he says, look, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to, 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 to gain salvation for the world and for those who trust in me because I know that God the Father is faithful and he will reward those who diligently seek his face. And so we see this. Jesus didn't receive all the glory he deserved while he was on earth, but he served like he did and he served faithfully because he knew that God the Father was going to glorify him when he was done. Jesus Christ worked it harder than any other man and yet he received the shame of the cross based upon him doing something for the, for the people, he still received the shame of the cross and he did it because he knew that God was going to give him a crown of glory. Jesus Christ submitted to man's authority. Jesus Christ, God himself, who created everything that there is, was willing to come up under the authority of man and be subjected to man on earth and he was able to do this and to remain faithful in doing this because he knew at one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus Christ could do his job and do his job well because he knew that God the Father was going to reward him in glory. And we see Paul picking up on that in Colossians. He says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. He says, you do all this, you obey the way that you do, you remain disciplined in what you do, because you know you will receive a reward, an inheritance from the Lord himself when you get to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to get a reward from God, hey, I've, I've, you might have some nice, some nice pay increases, but if you're rewarded by the Lord, it ain't going to be nothing, the pain ain't going to be nothing compared to what God has in store for those who obey him and do what he's called to do. So if you receive ridicule on the job, keep serving. If you feel underappreciated, keep serving. If you're not being treated the way you think you should be treated, keep serving. If you feel like you're underpaid, keep serving. Because God says, I have a reward for you in heaven when you get finished. I will reward you for your faithfulness and for you being able to suffer and to endure through those times. Just keep serving, because God says that he will reward those who are faithful to him. And the reward he has for us, he says that it will not perish, it will not spoil, it ain't going to fade. It ain't like that cheap gold or that fake gold that you get. He's like, this stuff will be real. You can't get it on earth. So serve in the positions and in the capacity God has called you to serve because you know, regardless of whatever man can give me, it ain't even going to compare to what God has in store for me. It ain't going to compare. It ain't going to compare. So you may not be getting your due, but God sees your work. God sees your work, and he will reward you. He will reward you. We, we don't work for the reward that God has for us, but we work from the reward that has already been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We don't work for the reward. We've already got the reward. It's already in heaven. Jesus Christ said himself, I go to prepare a place for you. And so your, your, your inheritance is already there. He said, you're co-heirs with Christ. You, you, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to wear a crown if you just remain faithful. So my message to everyone is to keep serving and serve in a way that brings glory to God. Just remain faithful to him. Don't grow weary in well-doing because God will reward you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you. Thank you, Father God, that we, in all areas of our lives, we can trust in you, Lord God. We can trust in your grace. We can trust in your mercy and your power. And we thank you, Lord God, that you supply all of our needs, Lord. You supply the power for us to exercise discipline, Father God, in times in which we're being tested. You are faithful, Father God, to reward those, Father God, who remain faithful to doing what you've called us to do. And so, Lord God, for all those who have jobs, Lord, I pray that you will help us, Lord God, to be uh, disciplined on the, on the job, Lord, that we may work in, in such a way, Lord God, that we know that we're not working for men, that, but that we're working for you, that we know that we are serving you, Lord. And Father God, for those who may not have jobs, for the youth, Lord, I pray that they, Lord, may learn and begin to learn how to come up under authority, Father God, whether they are, when they're in school, that they may remain obedient, Father God. And for those who are retired, Father God, I pray that you will just continue, Lord, to chisel them as well, Father God. And continue to sanctify them by your spirit. Again, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.